0: Welcome to Harvest this morning, so glad you're here worshiping with us. If you're a guest with us today, we're especially glad that you're here with us as well online. If you're tuning in for the first time, we're glad that you're with us and we want to just continue to love and serve you today. So if we can help you in any way, please let us know that. But right now, we're going to jump into God's Word together. So grab your Bibles and we're going to study together um, the book of Acts again this morning if you need sermon notes, there should be some underneath your chairs there. You can grab those, or you can get them on the, the YouVersion Bible app, like Chris said earlier. If you want a digital copy there online on Facebook, there's a link for you as well. So this year in our church, we've been working through the book of Acts, and just looking at what does it mean to follow Christ as a Christian in the New Testament, as a, as a, as a, um, you know, a believer today in 2020. And so this whole year we've been dedicating ourselves to that. We're coming to the end of that book now. We've got just a few chapters left. And we're going to use these final chapters in the book of Acts to look at kind of a summary of the book, right? What are the main ideas? What are the main themes that we see in the book of Acts that we can apply to our lives and go out and serve the Lord and follow him with those ideas? And so that's what we're kind of looking at in these final chapters. And today we want to specifically look at how do we interact with the Holy Spirit, Throughout the book of Acts, what we've seen is that the undeniable power and importance of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. Like, we have to have him. We have to be connected to him. He is our source. But, even though we need him, when we are walking in the Spirit, walking with the Spirit, sometimes it's easy to cross a line and start to try to become the Holy Spirit. Anybody know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Somebody are like, no, no, not me, not me, Micah, I'm good, I'm good. Are there times where we kind of step into his role and try to do his job for him? I know I've been guilty of that at times. Um, if you've been walking with Christ for very long at all, you probably have been too. Um, but in case you're hesitant, in case you're like, no, I don't, I don't know if that's me, Micah, I got a few statements for you this morning. See if any of these maybe apply to you or have in the past, and uh, we'll see if maybe we can learn something from the Lord today. So, how about this? If you elbow your spouse regularly during the pastor's sermons, you might be playing the Holy Spirit. How about this one? Number two, if you anonymously post corrective notes with Scripture in the office break room or at home or in the fridge or wherever, you might be playing the Holy Spirit. Parents, if, you're, if praying over your kids sounds more like reading their rap sheets, you might be playing the Holy Spirit. How about this one? This one, this one might want going to tuck your toes in a little bit right here. Uh, if you rant about your latest disagreement on Facebook with enough detail to jab the other person, but not enough detail that anybody else knows what you're talking about, you might be playing the Holy Spirit. Or in small groups, if all your prayer requests in small groups are always about someone else's sin and never about your own, you might be playing the Holy Spirit. I could go on with other things, but I think there's clear to us there are times where we allow ourselves to try to step in and take his role, to try to speak for him, to try to do his job, and that is never what God's word calls us to do. Our jobs as Christians are not to be the Holy Spirit, but to submit to the Holy Spirit. To come in under and to follow and to let him do his work as we fall in line with him. And what I want you to see in Acts 21 today is Paul, through his example of his own life, is going to show us what it looks like to submit to the Spirit, even when others maybe are trying to overstep and be the Spirit. And so here's the big idea. Don't speak for the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. We're going to see three specific lessons that tie into this For us from Paul's life. But here's the main thing don't speak for the Spirit, submit to the Spirit. Now, with that in mind, let's start in verse 1, chapter 21 of Acts, verse 1, and we'll start the story here together. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. Kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. First lesson about the Holy Spirit today is this. Number one, don't impose selfish wishes on the Spirit's words. Don't impose selfish wishes on the Spirit's words. So we pick up Paul and his party here, and they're still traveling, trying to get to Jerusalem, and they end up sailing to the region of Syria, specifically the city of Tyre, and there it seems like the ship has to stay for a while. It's either unloading cargo and loading new cargo, or maybe it's, yeah, that's as far as it was going and they had to wait for another ship. We're not exactly sure, but they're gonna spend seven days in the city of Tyre. And so since they're gonna be there for a while, they go and they find the disciples. They go and they find their family, right? The people who have the same God, the same love, the same spirit, the same faith as they do. And they're gonna spend some time with them for seven days, which gave them plenty of time to pray together and, and worship together and talk. And, and it would just have been a great time of fellowship, I'm sure, with Paul as he's heading to Jerusalem. And while they're with these brothers and sisters in Christ, these other disciples, it says here, Luke says that through the Spirit, that's a key, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. What's up with that? (laughs) That seems to be very contrary to what we've been reading in the last couple of chapters, isn't it? You see, what's happening here is, as Paul Comes into this fellowship of believers, evidently there were some of them there, some disciples who did have the gift of prophecy. And I believe that the Holy Spirit was speaking to them here about Paul's upcoming journey to Jerusalem. However, what they relay to Paul, what they say to him, is, We have a prophecy and it means don't go, <laughs> which is the exact opposite of what the Spirit has told Paul in the last two chapters. In, verse, in chapter 19, verse 21, we saw the Spirit tell Paul to go to Jerusalem. And that's the whole reason he left Ephesus in the first place. And then last week in chapter 20, we saw in verses 22 and 23, the Spirit told Paul that yes, prison is coming, afflictions are coming, there's going to be problems, but still go to Jerusalem. So what's up with this? Did the Holy Spirit get it wrong the first time? Did he make a mistake? Did he, did he get spooked by what he saw coming? Did he change his mind? no. This Holy Spirit is the same all-knowing, all-sovereign, never-changing God that we worship today. The Holy Spirit doesn't ever get it wrong. But people do. Right? Sometimes, don't we get it wrong? The Holy Spirit doesn't get it wrong. Sometimes we get it wrong, and that's exactly what's happening here. I believe that the, the Spirit did tell the disciples Something about Paul's upcoming journey, he probably told them what he had just told Paul, which affliction is coming, prison's coming, bad stuff's coming, and then they took what the Spirit said, and they added their own part to it. They added the don't go part. (laughs) Why? Because they were scared. They let their emotions get the best of them, and they added their emotional response on top of the Spirit's words. They took the Spirit's prophecy and they made it about their own selfish desires of not wanting to see Paul go, to not wanting to see anything happen to Paul because they love Paul. But that's not what the Spirit said. And this is a very important lesson for us as Christians. We talk about this a lot in counseling here at the church. Some of you have heard me say this, but we need to have this in our minds. We need to have this in our hearts. Emotions are not a good indicator of truth. Listen to me this morning. Emotions are not a good indicator of truth. Emotions are not a bad thing. God gave us emotions. He wants us to use them. He gave them to us for a purpose. They have lots of good in our lives, but they are not meant to tell us and help us discern what is true and not true, what is right and not right. Emotions are horrible indicators of that. The indicator of truth is right here. God's word tells us what is true. God's Spirit tells us what is true as it aligns us with God's Word. Our emotions can take us any many of directions. I think we've seen that on full display for a while now. Emotions are not a good indicator of truth. And these disciples, in their flesh, they were failing to submit to the Spirit and they were trying to speak for the Spirit. Thankfully, Paul knew the difference. Paul knew what the Spirit had told him, and he submitted to the Spirit no matter what. And so he kept going on, even though they were saying, don't go, don't go. You know, planting harvest was by, has been by far one of the biggest faith moves of my own life. Um, I remember, I've told this story before, but I think it applies really well here. And... and When it comes to, you know, ups and downs and and all the things that happen on the journey of church planting, this is what God has used to teach me about submitting to the Spirit. When we first came to St. Louis again to start the church, there was about a two-year period between when we got to St. Louis and when we launched Sunday morning services, where we were trying to build a core group of people who would be the foundation of planting a new church. And as we were working on that, about in the middle of that two-year period, there came a season where it just wasn't going well. Like we, we had kind of lost momentum, new people weren't coming, some people were leaving, we couldn't keep things going, it just felt like no matter what I tried, no matter what I did, I couldn't keep it moving. And it was getting hard, and it was getting scary, and I wasn't sure that we, we were going to be able to hold this together for much longer. The excitement was wearing thin, and I started to grow hurt and confused and desperate, and I'll to be honest with you, there were times where I was very emotional about this everything in me said just quit (laughs) like there's easier ways there's easier church positions just quit go somewhere else do take the easier path just get out while you can i was spent and my emotions were yelling quit and some of you know what i'm talking about because some of you were with us during that time (laughs) and you were feeling the same thing and you were like yeah I, I totally get that. And it wasn't a bad thing because God was using that to prune us and to teach us what it meant to submit to the Spirit, to rely on Him and not on ourselves. And the whole time that my emotions were saying, quit, 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 the Spirit was saying, stay. Stay. I've called you to this. Stay faithful. Keep going. Stay. And even though my selfish desires wanted to run to security and run to easy and run to safety, the Spirit just kept hounding me to stay faithful and stay with it. And all of us together did that. It wasn't just me. And if we wouldn't have done that, if we wouldn't have stayed in the Spirit, if we'd have let our emotions run wild and followed that, then none of this would be here today. The Spirit had a better plan. The Spirit had a better focus. But we couldn't give in to the emotions. We had to stay submitted to the Spirit. Now, I know that's kind of a really big example. And some of you are like, I don't have a big example like that in my life. Or I do, but it was a long time ago where whatever the thing is, But submitting to the Spirit isn't just about one big moment in your life. In fact, submitting to the Spirit is a lot more like small, everyday steps of submission. That's what submitting to the Spirit really looks like on a day-to-day basis. Every time you choose to spend time with the Lord in prayer and in his word, rather than sleeping in or watching TV or doing work or whatever your thing is, Every time you do that, you are submitting to the Spirit each day, little by little. Every time you, are show, you swallow your pride and you show respect and kindness to that jerk of a boss, instead of telling them what you really think, you're submitting to the Spirit. Every time you choose to spend time with your spouse and your kids, rather than running off to whatever your favorite pastime is, you're choosing to submit to the Spirit. All those little steps. This is what a life looks like when we're walking in submission to the Spirit, and all that adds up to a life that is blessed and used by the Lord. That's what Paul's asking here. That's what he's showing us in his example. So again, the first lesson we learn is this. Submit to the Spirit's plan rather than selfish desires for the best result. Submit to the Spirit's plan rather than selfish desires for the best result. Paul did that. But there's a second lesson we want to learn from Paul today. Look at verse 7. He carries on and says, When we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Platonus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we, he, we entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and he stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready uh, and went up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, bringing us to the house of Manasseh of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we should lodge. Second lesson we see here about the Holy Spirit is this, don't speak specifics where the Spirit is silent. Don't speak specifics where the Spirit is silent. Paul and his crew, they continue to travel on towards Jerusalem, and they end up in a town of Caesarea. In Caesarea, they meet up with the church there, and they find Philip, who they call the evangelist here in the text. Philip is the same guy earlier on in Acts that we studied that left Jerusalem and started going out and evangelizing other people groups and other groups around the area, hence the name Philip the Evangelist. He was also one of the original seven men that were put over the the discrepancy in the widows in the church to help care for them and kind of started the first, you know, um, template for deacons in the church. So this guy has been around the church for a long time. He's been investing. He's been following Christ. He's been doing his thing. And now he's in Caesarea. He's part of the church. He's got his family there. And it says that he has four unmarried daughters who prophesy. They had the gift of prophecy. What's really interesting to me is that Luke points out, he makes a special note to point out that these daughters have the gift of prophecy, and yet they don't give any prophecies concerning Paul and his journey. Everybody else in in all the chapters around here are lining up to tell Paul what to do or what not to do based on what they think the Holy Spirit's saying, but these young ladies who have the gift of prophecy don't say a word. Maybe they had enough wisdom and understanding and discernment to know that they didn't have anything new to say. And so they just let Paul continue in the journey and direction he was already in. But in contrast to their silence, we have this guy that shows up named Agabus. Agabus was a prophet from Judea. He travels all the way to Caesarea to give Paul this prophecy that he has received. And he comes in and he takes Paul's belt, which is probably more like just like a piece of cloth wrapped around his tunic, and he takes Paul's belt, and he binds his own hands and his feet with it as kind of an illustration. This is something the Old Testament prophets would do a lot. They would give a visual illustration about whatever their prophecy was. So he binds his hands and his feet, and he says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Again, trying to bring that power of the Old Testament prophets. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Holy Spirit. And then he says this, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him to the Gentiles. What strikes me about Agabus' prophecy is this. It is much more specific and much more detailed than any other prophecy the Holy Spirit has given concerning Paul and his journey up to this point. And it's not wrong for it to be specific, but the problem with it is that we're going to find out here later in the chapter that Agabus' prophecy, the details of it, are wrong. (laughs) That he gets it wrong. He tells the wrong thing. He says the Jews are going to seize Paul and bind him hand and feet and hand him over to the Gentiles, but they don't do any of that. They don't bind him. They don't hand him over. In fact, they try to beat and kill him on the spot. And when the Romans finally do come and arrest him, they seem to bind his hands, but they walk him out to the barracks. He doesn't seem to be bound at the feet at all. And so the details of Agabus' prophecy, they just don't line up. So again, what's going on here? Did the Holy Spirit get it wrong? <laughs> Did the Holy Spirit give him the wrong details? No, not at all. He doesn't do that. But Agabus, for whatever reason, received a prophecy from the Holy Spirit concerning Paul's upcoming journey, probably his, that his welfare was in jeopardy, and then chose to add in some extra specifics and details that don't hold true. I don't know if he just felt like it wasn't, it wasn't robust enough, it wasn't detailed enough to really be taken seriously, or if he just wanted to, to be the big man on campus and add in his own thing. I don't know his motivation, but we do know that it's not from the Holy Spirit because it's not true. Anytime we try to add in specifics where God is silent, that's a really bad idea. When we start trying to fill in the holes that God purposefully has not said, We start moving into man's thoughts and wisdom and opinion and away from God's. Sometimes we try to do this with God's word. As humans trying to figure out how to live our lives, we have a million different questions, don't we? About this and that and why this and why this and how does that work? And the Bible gives us a whole lot of answers. But we can just be honest today. It doesn't give you every little specific answer to every little specific question that you have. It was never meant to do that. And if we start trying to fill in the specifics that Scripture leaves out and we start teaching others and discipling others and preaching things that aren't specifically in the Bible, we start getting sideways really quickly. And it starts becoming about man and our roles and our ideas and it's a bad play. Agabus here has gotten into some dangerous ground and because he speaks where God is silent, he actually leads the other disciples away from the Lord. It says here that they started to urge Paul, the whole group now, starts to urge Paul not to go because they got spooked by what Agabus said. Agabus' prophecy starts actually leading them away from God's will rather than toward God's will. Thankfully again, Paul steadfast, doesn't even blink. (laughs) Like, he is not spooked in the slightest. He's like, are you kidding me? I'm not only ready to be imprisoned, but I'm ready to die for the name of Jesus Christ. He's like, I don't know if you're right or you're wrong. I don't know what's going on, but the Holy Spirit told me to go, and so I'm going no matter what happens. And so finally, everyone else responds, okay, fine, let the will of the Lord be done. Paul's like, duh, That's what I've been saying the whole time. It's always that. That's always our posture. Let the will of the Lord be done. So Paul submitted to the Spirit no matter what because he knew what God had called him to do. And as he submitted to the Spirit, he was able to lead all the other disciples to submit and follow the Spirit as well. One thing that I've learned in my own Christian life and in ministry and over and over again, and I think it's just something we need to just finally absorb and swallow and just just come to grips with is this reality. God rarely tells me everything I want to know, but he always tells me everything I need to know. Can we, can we agree on that? Anybody else feeling that today? God rarely tells me everything I want to know. I always have more questions when God says, go here and do this and, and gives me a plan and gives me a goal, I always have, well, what about this and what about that and this detail and that detail? There's always something else I want to know. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not giving you those details yet. You're not ready for those specifics yet. You don't need to know. You just need to follow me. You just need to submit to the Spirit. And we have problems with like God, I'll do it. Yes, God, I will do exactly what you said. As soon as you tell me X, Y, and Z. Come on, don't leave me up here. Somebody? Right? Don't make your submission contingent on the specifics that God conceals. Don't make your submission to the Spirit contingent on the specifics that God chooses not to tell you. As soon as it start, we start playing, make a deal with God, and I'll do it as soon as you tell me this, we're out of obedience, we're out of submission, and we are going to miss the will of God for our lives. He just says, trust me and follow. Eliana is our oldest daughter, and she just turned 10 uh, she has started doing some little jobs around the neighborhood and for different people, and she's starting to earn a little bit of money. And so she's gotten, she's gotten that taste, right, of, of making her own money and getting to buy her own stuff. And so she's excited now to work and to do that. And so she said, like, we need to, I, Dad, I need to come up with something where I can make some money. I need, I need a job. And, you know, she's 10. Like, you can't just, like, go out and get a job at Taco Bell or something. So, like, let's come up with a plan. And so we started talking through, and we decided, let's, let's, how about you start a dog-walking business? We have tons of dogs in our neighborhood. So how about you start do dog-walking, see if you can be, get people who will let you do that and maybe make a few dollars. And So we sat down. We crafted the business plan. We got the prices and, and the whole thing. We created these little business cards for her with all of her information on it. And uh, she was going to go around door-to-door offering her services in the neighborhood. So I print off the cards, and she gets them, and she is super excited. She's cutting them out, and she's getting them all ready. And in her mind, she decided, all right, we're going door-to-door, and we're going to do it tomorrow. Right? Because, like, she's she's eager to go. The problem was tomorrow was Father's Day, which is a horrible day to do door-to-door sales. Like, nobody wants you knocking on their door on Father's Day, right? It's like, we we can't go today, baby. It's just not a good day. And the day after that, Monday, I had meetings all evening, so I couldn't go out with her Monday night. It's going to be at least Tuesday before we can do this. Let me just tell you, she was not happy. Right? She was very upset because she felt like that we were changing the plan. But you said we were going to go door to door. Yes, we did say we were going to go door to door. We didn't say it was going to be tomorrow. Right? But she had come along and she had taken the plan that we had given her and she had filled in the extra details to make it fit what she wanted it to be. And then when we said it's not going to work that way, she got upset because our plan didn't match her details. How often do we do the exact same thing with God? He gives us the plan. He says, this is where we're going. This is the goal. This is, what the, this is what we're going to head towards. We're like, all right, God, great. And we start filling in all the details on how we're going to get from here to there. We start making our plans. We start getting everything in order so we can do what God's told us to do. And then when the plan starts playing out and the details don't go the way we think they should go, we get mad at God. Like, God, you said to do this. He's like, yeah, I did. Not like that. <laughs> Wait. Wait. Wait and submit and follow and let me give you the details and the specifics when the time is right. That's the way God works. We have to learn this. I don't need more specifics to submit to the Lord. I just need to follow the Spirit. Submission to the Spirit is a matter of trust, not specifics. So lesson number two from Paul's life, submit to the Spirit's plan based on what he has revealed rather than what he hasn't. Sometimes we we don't want to submit until we get the extra stuff that he hasn't revealed. And God's saying, no, 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 submit based on what I have revealed rather than what I haven't revealed yet. So that's number two. There's still yet a third lesson we get from Paul here In this passage, look at verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and, uh, and the offering presented for each one. So Paul goes there and he starts on this thing, and then look what happens in 27. This is it right here. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Tromepheus, the Ephesian, with him in the city and he inquired who he was and what he had done and some in the crowds were shouting one thing, some another. And, he, and as he could learn, not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when they came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed crying out away with him. Third lesson about the spirit. Don't overstep your position in the spirit's plan. Don't overstep your position in the Spirit's plan. So Paul finally makes it to Jerusalem. I mean, it's been a long time, right? He's been journeying and journeying. He finally gets to Jerusalem, and he meets with the brothers, and he's welcomed by the brothers, and he's welcomed by James, who's kind of the head of the Jerusalem church at this point. He's welcomed by all the elders. It says they received him gladly, and he starts to give them an account of everything that he's been doing, all the churches he planted and all the Gentiles who have become believers and all the things that's happened in Asia and it says that they all glorified God because of it. Clearly, they are in approval of Paul and his ministry, right? They're saying yes and amen, thank you, Lord. Gentiles are being saved, churches are being planted. Like they are in full approval of Paul and what he's been doing. And yet, they respond with this. It says, James and the elders said to him. Now, notice right there. It says, James and the elders said. It doesn't say that the Holy Spirit said. Throughout the book of Acts, Luke's pretty clear to tell us when the Holy Spirit is speaking through someone. He doesn't say it here. It says, James and the elders said, many thousands of the Jews have believed. That means that Jews have become Christians, but they're still zealous for the law. They're still practicing Jewish customs and Jewish laws. They're still Jews in um, in the way that they relate to one another and um, and to the world. And says, they have been told that you, Paul, forsake Moses and you tell other believers that they don't have to walk according to the Jewish customs, which was only partially true. Paul did tell the Gentile believers that they did not have to follow the Jewish customs because they weren't Jews. But for Jewish Christians, even in the diaspora, he would tell them, you do whatever you want, whatever you feel like your conscience allows you to do, yes or no, it's up to you. He wasn't telling them not to specifically, but that's what the rumor was And so James and the elders, they ask, so what's to be done? They're going to hear that you've come and they're not going to like it and there's going to be a problem. Like, what do we do about this? And what we see here is that James and the elders of the church in Jerusalem, they're more worried about offending the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem church than they are about actually dealing with the sin of gossip and slander and false accusations against Paul. And because of that, it says, they say, do what we tell you. Not what the Holy Spirit tells you, not what God tells you. Do what we tell you. We have, we have a plan. Okay? This is man's plan, which again, is usually problematic. They say, go and purify yourself, and then pay the expenses of these other men who have purified themselves, so that you can prove to everyone that you're a good, law-abiding Jew. All right? That everything that they've heard about you is not true, and it says that all will know that it's not true. This will solve the problem. And they go on to say, but ask for the Gentiles, and they recount their previous decision, right? That they don't have to do all this stuff. Oh, they just have to do these four things we've asked them to do. So they're basically saying, we're not saying all Gentiles need to follow Jewish law. We're just asking that you, Paul, would do this to basically keep the peace, right? Will you help us just keep the peace and just go and do this? And so Paul agrees, because as we know from Paul's other letters, he's all for humility and grace and serving weaker brothers and doing whatever it takes to keep peace and unity in the church short of of course heresy or offending the gospel so he agrees to do this and then he's doing it and he's in the middle of fulfilling this jewish ritual and there were some jews from asia who were there they're probably from ephesus because they knew Trometheus who they had seen with Paul, who was also from Ephesus. So they're probably in town for Pentecost, to celebrate Pentecost there in Jerusalem, just like Paul was. And they see Paul, and they start to stir up the whole crowd against him to lay hands on him. This is the guy who turned their city on its head and created all those problems back in Ephesus, and we're going to take care of him right now. And so they stir up the crowd. They make false accusations. While he's going through the Jewish customs, they're saying, this guy doesn't believe in the Jewish customs, and he's da-da-da-da. And so they go and they grab him and they beat him and they, it says that he was seek, they were seeking to kill him. Now, if you remember Agabus' prophecy that they were going to bind him and hand him over, this is way worse than that. Right? Like Again, they're not trying to arrest Paul. They're trying to kill Paul, execution mob style right here. And I think what Luke's point is, is that it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to look like this. The reason we got here is because the leaders in the Jewish church put together their own plan to try to cover up and deal with this disunity and this sin in the church rather than the, waiting on the spirit to come and do the conviction necessary to sort it all out. And when we get our plan and our stuff ahead of God's stuff, it does not go well. It always creates more problems. Finally, the, the tribune comes down with the soldiers, the Romans come and they arrest Paul and they take him into the barracks basically to keep him alive. <laughs> like They're basically rescuing him out of the mob's hands to try to figure out what's going on and why are they so mad. But what we know is happening from the rest of Acts is not just that the Romans are arresting Paul, but actually the Holy Spirit is taking Paul and he's putting, the, he's putting him in the perfect position to now be sent on to Rome to bring the gospel to Rome just like he said he would in the previous chapters. Which brings us to another very important lesson about the Spirit. Human failures don't stop the Holy Spirit's plans, but they do hurt a lot in the process. (laughs) Right? No matter what we do, no matter what we mess up, no matter what we try to, to take control of and do on our own, it never derails God's plans. God always gets to the place he's taking us. He always accomplishes what he wants to accomplish. But if we try to put our two cents in, in the middle of it, it oftentimes hurts us in the process. Paul has to do a lot of extra suffering here because man's plan was in place instead of waiting on the Lord's plan. And we can fall in that same trap sometimes. You know, as individuals, as families, as businesses and churches, we've been trying hard to navigate through a constant stream of curveballs over the last couple months, right? It's just been one thing after another and change after change, and what are we doing here? I can tell you that for us, our elders at this church, I think back to what we were thinking and talking and planning in January, and it's completely different now, right? This was not the plan that we had. We had a plan to, you know, grow in small groups and student ministry and a new student camp this summer and a mission, short-term mission trip and new church planting opportunities and uh, getting a permanent facility in place for us and getting us settled in here. We had all these plans and all these timetables ready to go. But obviously, God had different plans and different timetables. And that's Okay. And what he's teaching us, I think, all of us in various ways, I think what he's teaching us in this season is it's okay, just submit to the Spirit, submit to his plans, submit to his timetables, and in the end, it will be better. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I do know I can trust the Lord, and if he's doing it differently than what I thought we were going to do, then obviously he's got a better plan than we had. And we can trust that. And we can wait on the Lord. And we can submit to the Spirit and let Him sort it all out. Submit to the Spirit's plan and timing instead of hoping He will submit to yours. God doesn't submit to our plans. God doesn't submit to anyone or anything. He is God. It's always going to go better if we submit to His plans rather than hoping that he's going to submit to ours. Three lessons. Don't fill in the specifics. Don't let your emotions override the Spirit. And don't try to always insist on your plans and your timetable. Trust the Lord. Don't speak for the Spirit. Submit to the Spirit. This book of Acts makes it very, very clear that the Holy Spirit is essential for Christian life. We have to have him. You can't do this Christian thing without the filling and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to teach us, to help us, to follow Jesus. But that only works when we submit to him rather than submitting to ourselves. So that's what we're going to do, church. That's what we're going to do, Harvest. We're going to bow before the feet of Jesus and say, your way, your timing, your will, we're just going to follow. We're going to let him do what only he can do. Let's stand, let's pray, let's sing to our great God. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your spirit. Thank you, Lord, so much for meeting us here today in this place, bringing your word to reign in our hearts. God, we are so aware of our weakness, of our failures, of our inadequacies, God. We know that we cannot do this Christian life alone, we need to be filled with the power of your Spirit. So God, we just pray today, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us, to change us, to fill us, to lead us in following you, God. Lord, we repent. Lord, we confess and repent of trying to manipulate, trying to control, trying to to twist the Spirit for our own agendas and for our own desires help us now daily, help us daily to submit to the Spirit and to follow His voice rather than our own. Lord, we need you. We need the Holy Spirit. Lord, we need the Spirit of the living God to come to have your way in our hearts, to have your way in our lives. So we submit to you today all of this in the name of Jesus Christ.